of grace and truth. And Lord, we need that grace and we need that truth today. We need your power. We need your presence. We need you to change us and transform us. So we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to spend a few moments this morning and as we're looking through uh, the gospel of Mark. So we continue on in our series on the kingdom. So we're looking at kingdom miracles and the kingdom message um, that Jesus is bringing as Jesus brings the kingdom in and in himself. So you cannot separate Jesus from the kingdom and you cannot separate the kingdom from Jesus. They are the same. When Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, what he means is I'm at hand. That's what he's saying. Okay. And so you cannot have Jesus without having him be king. You cannot have Jesus without his kingdom. All right. I want to make sure we understand that we can't have Jesus's miracles without Jesus as the Lord. You can't have Jesus' message and good teachings without Jesus being the king as well. It's not enough to say we want the things of Jesus without wanting Jesus himself. And so in Jesus we see the kingdom. But let's just admit it. We live in a world of unbelief. We live in a world where seeing is believing. And even seeing itself, seeing isn't believing anymore. Used to be people would say, well, seeing is believing. You show me the facts and I'll, you know, now you can show them the facts and they'll just say, well, that's just not the way I feel about it, though. Right? Well, I can show you biology, but that's not how I identify. Right? I can show you the facts. You get a birth certificate there. But that's not how I identify. Right now, we live in a world where it's all about how I feel and how I identify things as opposed to believing or even facts themselves. Those things seem to not matter as much. We live in a world of unbelief. And next week, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how we then minister in a world of unbelief. How do we, as people of God, what is Jesus's call to us as the people of God to minister to a world of unbelief? But I want you to understand today that Jesus experienced that same unbelief. Jesus experienced unbelief among people who should have believed. And it even amazed him. Now, what a terrifying thought that Jesus would be amazed at someone's unbelief, at their lack of faith. What a terrifying thought. Oh, that he would never say that of us, right? That he was amazed at our lack of belief. But in Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus going back to his hometown. So he's heading back to, to Nazareth. He's heading back to this podunk city. Probably 200 people tops that live there. He's known. His family is known. He's been a carpenter there. He's going back and he's going to preach the good news of the kingdom. He's going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He's going to go and proclaim the good news that his kingdom has come. And we're going to see the chilly reception that he gets while he's there. And in that chilly reception, we're going to see Jesus morally obligated not to do powerful, miraculous works among those people. He is obligated because of their unbelief to not do miracles among the people. We want to see God move in power. We want to see God move in our lives. We want to see God move in our world. Let's not set Jesus up to be morally obligated not to do those things. Where it would be counterproductive to his kingdom that he would do miracles. And you're going to see here, I believe, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, how doing miracles among people of unbelief would be counterproductive. Let's read, read along. If you'll 
Follow along in your copy of God's Word, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So remember, he's come out of just doing these, like, one miracle after another, right? I mean, he's healing people. He's healing, you know, he's Jairus' family member. He's the woman with the issue of blood. He's calmed the storm. He's cast out a legion of demons. And now he's headed home to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 1, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And they're going to get a lesson a lesson on how to minister and what the call is in, a, in moments of unbelief and in a people of unbelief. Verse 2, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, as was his custom. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense of him. So don't, don't miss these questions. There are five questions that are asked about Jesus here. The five questions are, where did he get these things? How did he get these things that he's telling us and that he's doing? What is the wisdom given to him? How does he know these things? And how are he do, how is he doing all of these mighty works by his hands? Isn't he the carpenter? Don't we know his mom and his brothers? In fact, aren't those his sisters over there? These are not just wonder and amazement. These are disparaging remarks against Jesus. These questions are meant to bring Jesus back down to size. You know, one of my greatest fears of moving back to this area uh, 10 years ago when I was thinking about uh, and praying about, Joanny and I were talking about and praying about where we would go and where the Lord was leading us next. We started looking here in Powhatan and we started looking in this area. I wanted to just mark this area off my list of potential places to go. That was not God's design, but that's what I wanted to do because I have a history in Chesterfield County. I have a history there. I went to school at Monacan High School. I went to Bethany Place Baptist Church over there. And people know me, and I can't go to Kohl's, and I can't go to Target, and I can't go to Martin's, and I can't go to the store. I can't get gas over in that area of town without running into somebody. And for the first four years of me being here, every time I would run into somebody in the parking lot at Kohl's or Target, here's what it would look like. They'd walk up to me, and they'd say, Oh, Brad. And they'd immediately look down to see if I had shoes on. Because I went barefoot everywhere as a teenager. Barefoot or flip-flops everywhere as a teenager. And they just assumed, as a 36-year-old man at that time, that I had not changed at all. And it's amazing how quickly when you walk in and you meet people that have known you since you were yay tall, how it brings you down to size. Have you ever been in that situation? Where just immediately you can... You can almost, you can know what the Lord's using you to do. You can be moving in the right direction. You could, you know, I had gone off to college. I had gotten a master's degree. I came back home and it was like, oh, I see you wear shoes now. You understand what I'm saying? Immediately, people that have known you your whole life can bring you down to size very quickly. There's nothing like being around people that have, that held you as a baby or people that changed your diapers or people that saw you be a stupid teenager. Right? There's nothing like being around those people to bring you down to size. Jesus brings amazement wherever He goes. And He comes home and they go, how is He doing all those great things? He's just the carpenter. 
He's a nobody. He's a nobody just like us. I mean, we're from Nazareth. It's been said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Who does he think he is? That's what Jesus is running into as he comes back into his hometown. And in verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. He got what was happening. He understood that he could have honor everywhere else, but as soon as he came home, he was just Mary's boy. He was just the carpenter and the carpenter's son. He was such and such his sister. He was such and such his brother. That's all he would ever be to them. In verse 5, what an indictment against these people. He could do no mighty work there. And let me let me clarify there. Omnipotence is not omnipotence unless the only reason he couldn't do mighty works there is because he willed not to do mighty works there. Okay, No one can hinder. I mean, Pharaoh couldn't hinder God from doing his mighty works of power. Right? I doubt the people of Nazareth could keep Jesus from doing works of power. But he was obligated there by their lack of faith not to do mighty works of power. He is still omnipotent. And even there, he, he did lay hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Let, let, me, let me make sure we understand this. It's something really important. Familiarity with Jesus is a good thing. Okay, We should be familiar with Jesus. We should know Jesus. We should know his life. I, I'm always astounded when I talk to people and they're like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. If I were to give you, and I've said this to you all before, if I were to give you ten, ten events from Jesus' life, right? And maybe this is more an indictment against me, but if I were to give us ten events from Jesus' life, could we even put them in order? Like, from Scripture. Could we put them in order? And we're followers of Jesus, Right? As people of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we should be familiar with Jesus. We should know Jesus. We should hear Jesus. We should listen to Jesus. We should read about Jesus. We should understand as much as we can about Jesus. We should trust Jesus. But we can't be so familiar with Jesus as these people were familiar with Jesus. They were familiar with their own idea of who Jesus is. They were familiar with their memories of Jesus. They were not familiar with the King of kings and Lord of lords. They were familiar with the carpenter's son. And that sort of familiarity, we've heard, breeds what? Contempt. That's exactly what's happening in Jesus' case here. Familiarity with Jesus without faith in Jesus breeds contempt. Even amazement with Jesus without acknowledging that he's the king of a kingdom brings the fact that he's going to move on. So folks, we don't want to fall into the same trap as the people of his hometown, that we would be so familiar with Jesus that we wouldn't trust Jesus, that he just becomes ordinary to us. And that we wouldn't just be amazed with Jesus without acknowledging that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So, when we look at Jesus and we would, when we look at this interaction with the people who were so familiar with him that they, that they really despised him and they took offense at him and they were amazed at him but would not acknowledge that he is king. They just saw him as the carpenter. How do we avoid that? Well, I think there's three things that we can see in this passage and I want to run through them quickly. 
of ways we can avoid just being amazed with Jesus without trusting Jesus. We want to avoid amazement with Jesus without faith. We want to be people of faith, and that faith would draw us into more amazement, not the other way around. First of all, we see that amazement at his teachings isn't enough. Where did this man get these things? Verse 2, what is the wisdom given to him? They're amazed at what he's saying because he's the carpenter's son. They're amazed at what he's saying because they know his mom. They're amazed at what he's saying because he came from Nazareth. How can he be so much wiser than we are? They were amazed at what he was saying. But amazement at his teachings is not enough. There are plenty of people in this world who will say, well, I think Jesus was a good teacher, right? But they won't receive him or accept him or acknowledge him as Lord. They won't trust him as Savior. They won't come to him and embrace him in all of his fullness as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as the Son of God. He was a good teacher. That's what people say about him. I'm amazed at the love he had for people, even the love for people that killed him. I'm amazed at his teachings. I'm amazed that he could forgive people. I'm amazed that he would teach people the way to live a righteous life. I'm amazed by his teachings. They don't trust him. The only problem is, he taught that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So if you're amazed at his teachings, you've got to be amazed at that teaching too, right? If you're really going to say Jesus is a good teacher, then you have to receive and accept the fact that he's the king. Because he taught that as well. It's not enough to be amazed at his teachings like the people of Nazareth. They were amazed at his wisdom. But it's not enough. We have to embrace him in faith. Secondly, they, they were amazed at his miracles. They were amazed at his power. How are such mighty works done by his hands? These are the same hands that made tables and chairs. Right? That's their thought process. These are the hands that made me a chair one day. How can he heal the sick with those same hands? These are ordinary hands is what they're thinking. There's nothing extraordinary about his hands. How can he do these things? They're amazed at his miracles, but amazement at his miracles isn't enough. And that lack of faith that he is the king and he's bringing his kingdom is the reason why Jesus couldn't and wouldn't do miracles among them. The widespread miracles in his hometown just weren't present. Why? Because Jesus' miracles were not just magic tricks. See, if I wanted to walk into my hometown and I wanted to show my power, I could just do some magic tricks. I could just throw some miracles around and say, see, now believe. Come on, guys, you really want to mess with me? That's one way to do it, but he's not a magician. He's the king. And what we've said from day one as we've looked at the miracles in the, in the Gospel of Mark is what? As, as Jesus is accomplishing these miracles, he is establishing his, what? Kingdom, right? He's bringing his kingdom. He's not just doing miracles to make people well. He's doing miracles to reverse the curse of sin and death and to establish his kingdom. So if people just come to Jesus and say, wow, look at what Jesus can do, but they don't trust him, they don't follow him, they don't obey him, they don't want him, he's morally obligated in that moment to not dig the hole deeper for them, right? 
You understand, if he were to do good things for them in that moment, he would just be digging the hole deeper. You've run into this before, right? You've run into this as you're getting off the highway on the exit ramp and the guy is standing there and he says, hungry, and he has the sign. And you're in that moment of decision and you're just hoping that the light stays green long enough for you to get through the intersection and not have to stop and maybe make con- eye contact with him. Anybody? Because if you stop, then you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to make a decision of whether you help the guy or whether you can justify that maybe giving him money isn't the way to help him. Right? You see the guy on the street in the city and you walk up to him and he's hungry and he asks for something and that thought process of if I give him money, it's just going to dig the hole deeper for him. You ever had those thoughts? Here's the thing. We don't think perfectly about those things, do we? We're faulty in our logic sometimes. Sometimes it's just fear. Sometimes it's just selfishness. Sometimes I'm just in a hurry. Jesus was thinking perfectly about these things because he's the perfect thinker. And his reaction to their unbelief is, I can't give them what they want because I'm what they need. And if I simply give them what they want, they'll never believe I'm what they need. They'll never understand their real need if I just give them what they want right now. You see, God's goal is not just that good things happen to us. It's that we turn into people who please God. See, we were sinners. We need grace. We need mercy. But we need transformation And He's constantly changing us and molding us into people who please Him. And these people were so offended by Jesus that they simply wanted what Jesus would do for them without wanting Jesus. And transformation is not just in the power of Jesus. It's in Jesus Himself. It's in the presence of Jesus. It's in the constant work of Jesus. It's in likeness of Jesus. It's in union with Jesus. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Our, our desire should be for Him, not just the good things that He does. We should desire Him to work in power. But when we understand that His powerful works are for the kingdom first and for us as members of the kingdom then we get the proper perspective on those miracles. So, so I, I want people to be healed. And I believe that God can and will heal people. But He'll do it for His kingdom purposes, not just because I want it to be done. Does that make sense? He'll do it for His kingdom purposes. And I can trust Him to do that. His miracles are not just magic tricks, but they actually bring the kingdom. They restore They reconcile, they renew, they redeem people. And to do that in a moment or in a place or among a people with no faith would be completely opposite of his kingdom purposes. To do that in a place where people don't believe him would be the complete opposite of his kingdom purposes. He's establishing his kingdom among a people of faith. So amazement at his teachings isn't enough. Amazement at his miracles isn't enough. Faith is the key to the kingdom. 
What we see here is Jesus refusing to respond and to give to those who have no faith. We see Jesus not giving good gifts to those who have no faith in Him. Because the keys to the kingdom, entrance into His kingdom, being a citizen of the kingdom is by faith. Jesus gives and responds to faith. The kingdom is for those of faith. Miracles are not possible for Jesus. Miracles are not something Jesus will do by His will or for His purposes because miracles actually bring the kingdom. And those who don't want the kingdom don't actually want His miracles. We want magic tricks if we don't want the kingdom. So we should be people not just who want healing, but want the kingdom to come. It's really a fascinating thing, isn't it? When we look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said to pray like this, Your kingdom come, right? So He said, pray this, Your kingdom come, the next phrase, Your will be done. You see, there's no will of God, whether it's healing, whether it's governments, whatever it is, there's no will of God outside of Him establishing His kingdom. Our prayer is establish your kingdom. Bring your kingdom. We want to see the king. And then we want to see your will done. So maybe that just changes our prayer life a little bit. Maybe that just changes what we pray for a little bit. Maybe we need to simplify a little bit. See, I have a prayer list that's like this long of people that I want to see God move in power in their lives. And I want to pray for them by name. What if I started every day when I'm praying for you and I'm praying for people in our church, I'm praying for people in my family and in my community with praying what Jesus told me to pray, which is your kingdom come, your will be done. What if I started there and that began to color the way I pray for people that need healing? I bring your kingdom. Don't just heal them. Make them new. Don't just take cancer away from them. Make them new. Don't just take that sickness away from them. Bring them to faith. What if the way we prayed was about the kingdom? You see, I'm fully convinced that the reason we don't see God move, there are two reasons we don't see God move in power in our day and the way we saw God move in power in the days of Jesus and in the days of the early church. There's two major reasons. One, we're blind because He is moving. We just don't see it. Because we have such an American-centered mentality that we're like, why isn't He doing it here? All you got to do is go to the rest of the world and see what He's doing. There's a blindness. There's a familiarity with Jesus. That blindness, it comes from we become so familiar with Jesus that He's become ordinary to us. That even when he does works of power, within two weeks we just kind of move on to the next thing and say, show us something new, Jesus. What have you done for us lately? So I'd give you pause. I'd, I'd ask you to pause and just think back. Think back over the last year, over the last two years, over the last 15 years. This day of remembrance for us. How has God moved in power? Can you see it? To think back and see who you were 15 years ago to who you are today. 
to see how He's worked in family members, to see how He's healed, how He's restored marriages, how He's brought people back together, how He's drawn people to Himself, how He's moved in power, and He continues to move in power. I believe the first reason we don't see it is we've become so familiar with Jesus that He's become ordinary to us, and so it's easy to move on when we see Him move. The second reason, I think, is because Kent Hughes puts it this way, Unbelief robs the church of its power. We've become so pragmatic in the way we do life as the body of Christ. We've become people who are more concerned with what works than what God says too often. And when we live that way, when the church is that way, when our lives are that way, we can add all kinds of new programs. And the way Kent Hughes puts it is, he says, we can add new programs until we do not have enough hours in the day to administrate them or enough bulletin inserts to advertise them. But without a believing expectancy in Christ and His power, nothing ever comes of it. You see, the the people of God are not called to be people of programs. We're called to be people of faith. And so it could be an indictment against us. Could it be that it's an indictment against us that God isn't moving because God doesn't see faith? And we don't expect Him to anymore. That our hope and our faith is not in expectancy that Jesus will move and that He will bring His kingdom and He will accomplish His purposes for His purposes first. So what does that bring us to? To understand that we need to take stock really quickly because next week we're going to spend time looking at what it looks like to be the people of God going out into an unbelieving world. But if we're guilty of the same type of unbelief, we won't be useful to Jesus. If we're the type of people that are an unbelieving people who are more amazed at the wisdom of Jesus than we are trusting and believing Him at His Word enough to obey, we say that again, if we're amazed at His teachings, we don't trust Him enough to obey, that's a mark of an unbelieving people. If we're amazed at His power, but we don't trust Him enough to believe with expectancy that He's going to continue to move in power. Instead, we fear what's going on around us. Instead, we look at it and we say, I'm going to trust that person, and I'm going to trust that party, and I'm going to trust that thing. We don't trust the King. Could it be that we're guilty of unbelief? When we become so familiar with the person of Jesus, but we don't believe that He is anything more than what we imagine Him to be or want Him to be. And I want you to know, whatever you can imagine, He's better. And whatever you want Him to be, He's probably different. Oh, that Jesus would never be ordinary to us. Because when He's ordinary to us, we can't proclaim how extraordinary He is to anyone else. We live in a world where people fly planes into buildings. We always have. Ever since the fall, ever since the day Adam and Eve took that fruit, we have lived in a world where people flew planes into buildings. It just looked different all the time. The question is, when you see that, 
when you see that happen and when you remember that happening, do you remember also that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost? Do you remember also that the King has brought His kingdom and is coming to bear on this earth and there will be pain in the middle of that, there will be struggle in the middle of that, and yet there will be great rejoicing for the people who are of faith in the King Himself. Don't confuse good and bad things that happen in our world or around us or even to us as signs of anything else but Jesus working. He's working. He's working even in the midst of great tragedy. We can trust Him to do that. We also can't just want great triumphs from Jesus without wanting the King Himself. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him enough to obey Him? Do we trust Him enough that He's going to keep working and accomplishing His purposes? And do we trust Him enough? Do we trust Him enough today to be the people who would say, I need to know just how extraordinary Jesus is. Trust Him enough to get to know Him more. To understand that we don't know Him well enough. And to draw near to Him. Because the last thing I want to see is He marveled at their unbelief and He went away to other villages teaching. The last thing we want to see is the people of God is that our, our unbelief would cause him to go somewhere else. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of our worship. You have brought salvation in your kingdom to us. And we pray that today we would be people who recognize the kingdom, who trust the king, who would go and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, that we would not see Jesus as ordinary. We would not be so familiar with you that it would breed contempt, but instead we would understand your worthiness we would understand the worth of Jesus, that we would see the value of Jesus, we would embrace Jesus, and we would desire Jesus more than anything else. And then as we desire Jesus, that we would take the good news of Jesus to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you